Our scripture this morning is taken from the New Testament book of Acts, chapter 2, verses 1 through 7 and verses 14 through 17. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. And suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. And when they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment, because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. This is God's Word to us. Please be seated. Good morning, everyone. Welcome this morning to Bethany. Let's take a moment and we'll pray before we look at uh, the scripture that we've heard read, which is about um, a Jewish festival called Pentecost. And so we're going to see how God has transformed that festival and made it appropriate for our life as we gather together today in Christ. So please join me for a moment. We'll pray and then we'll be looking at the scripture together. Father, thanks so much that you've given us the privilege right now of gathering within these walls to listen for your voice. And we trust and we pray and we ask that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher, that you would shape us to be people of hope in, in our city and in our world. And particularly this morning, Father, that your Holy Spirit would be moving among us as you promised to do Uh, bringing to us conviction of where in our lives we need adjustment. And may we not only see, but may we turn to you and find you as the source of filling and transformation and hope. We pray this in the name of Christ who is our hope. Amen. As some of you know, I live up in the mountains. More and more of you, by the way, know this because I run into people all the time on I-90. People are, yesterday I met some wilderness ministry folks at the gas station because the gas station is the post office. I was there to get my mail. So hello to wilderness ministry. And then I stopped to get a corn dog at the best corn dogs in the world, right by Red Mountain Coffee. And when I greeted the woman in front of me who was getting coffee, she said, Richard, and then found, I met her, and she, her and her family were going to Walla Walla. They attend Bethany. Hello in Walla Walla, those of you who are watching online. So uh, when we live up there, I want you to know something about mountain life. The conversation beginning about now and running through the end of October, beginning of November when the snows return, is there's a big conversation about fire and the danger of fire. And it's an appropriate conversation because uh, in, on our third of an acre or whatever it is that we have, uh, it's most trees all around the house. And if there's a fire, we'll know about it, right? And so we're worried about lightning and we're worried about fire. But also, there's an ongoing conversation among fire experts these days about whether uh, you should always protect the forest from fire 
where we all love Smokey the Bear and we kind of exalt him, you know, and we bow down and we, you know, he's a great guy and all that. And yet, uh, the truth is that uh, some of the worst and most destructive and devastating fires in the history of our national parks have come when we have had this absolute protectionist mentality and said to one another, no fire whatsoever, ever. No fire is a good fire. And that's, that's a bad paradigm. Because in reality, hear this, without fire, what needs renewal never receives renewal. And what needs to be destroyed is never destroyed. Without fire, what needs renewing is never able to be renewed. And what needs to be destroyed is never able to be destroyed. And of course, I'm sharing all this because when the Holy Spirit shows up in Acts chapter 2, Holy Spirit shows up as both wind and fire. This is not Pentecost Sunday in a church calendar, if you come from a different background, where the church calendar is followed a little more uh, religiously. But we are speaking about Pentecost today because it's in our series in Acts. And so we'll be looking at this this festival that is transformed and, and it's transformed by the presence of wind and fire into something profoundly not only meaningful in each of our lives, but something profoundly necessary. So there are three realities that I want you to see from Acts chapter 2 and this uh, coming down of the Holy Spirit uh, in filling Peter and the other disciples and then Peter's sermon and then Peter's call to response. I want you to see how God transforms the familiar. That's the first thing, a very important reality. Second, I want you to see the necessity in your life and mine of this wind and fire that is the Spirit. And third, I want you to see how to be filled with the Holy Spirit, the path to response. So uh, transformation of the familiar, the necessity of the wind and fire that is the Holy Spirit. And then finally, uh, uh, the, how, to be, how to be filled with the Holy Spirit, path to response. And so follow with me. We begin here with this. God's capacity, God does this all the time. God loves to transform that which is familiar. Acts chapter 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And the they is referring to some folks, uh, uh, the disciples and about 120 others who were gathered in a room praying, waiting, as they'd been told to wait for the coming of the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 1 by Jesus. So there's a group gathered in Jerusalem waiting, but, it, but in fact... Uh, in the larger context of Acts chapter 2, there's also a larger group gathered in Jerusalem. And the larger group is a group that had gone to Jerusalem because there's a festival called Pentecost happening. And this festival, when it occurred in Acts chapter 2, had nothing to do with the Holy Spirit or Pentecostals or Pentecostalism or, 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 or Charismatics or anything like that. This was a Jewish feast that occurred 50 days after Passover. And so if you know Judaism or anything about Judaism and, and uh, Jewish festivals, there are several running throughout the calendar year that frame uh, Judaism as they recall their own story of deliverance by God out from slavery in Egypt and then uh, wandering through the wilderness entering into the promised land. So this feast, 50 days after Passover, first on the surface is this. It's an agricultural festival, right? So it, like it, it normally it would occur sometime between the end of May and the end of June, somewhere in there, 50 days after Easter. And so the first fruit, the first crops are brought to God as an offering with prayer that God would bless the rest of the crop. But there's a second greater reality in this festival, very important for you to see, because it'll, it'll apply to us in a minute, as we'll see. Passover was this time of Israel remembering how God brought freedom from slavery for the Jews when they sacrificed lambs and left Egypt. And then 50 days after leaving Egypt, there's this other festival, Pentecost. And Pentecost, 50 days after Easter, is when Mount uh, Sinai became the place where Moses went up, 
received the law from God, came down, delivered the law uh, to the people. So Pentecost is this festival of receiving the law. God says, Ten Commandments, do this and live, right? You'll enjoy blessing and prosperity and long life and all these good things if you obey, right? Now, <laughs> Israel didn't obey. And in fact, uh, their national history had been uh, characterized by disaster since 586 B.C., when the temple was destroyed, the nation lost their freedom, and so for like six centuries, they have had no national identity. But they would often, in spite of being scattered, they would often make this pilgrimage back to Jerusalem for this festival, the Feast of Pentecost, right? So they'd come back to celebrate that often, in the, kind of the end of spring, beginning of summer, right in there. And it began, I mean, pilgrimages for Israel were generally about looking back, even as we have festivals today that are often about looking back. When we gather for Easter, we're looking back, right? We're remembering the resurrection. When we gather for Christmas, we're looking back. Some of you do pilgrimages on Labor Day to the Gorge to hear Dave Matthews or uh, you know, Burning Man Festival. or We've got our own set of pilgrimages, and even some of those are about looking back. And in my own story, though I wouldn't call it a pilgrimage, when I go downtown and I see Key Arena, it creates in me this wistful longing for the past. And the, and, and the reason is because when I was attending Seattle Pacific University, I worked at International House of Pancakes right across from Key Arena. Uh, and, and so uh, little did I know when I took the job, I was the host, so I, like ever, people come in, yeah, I'd like a table for four, and my job was to make them happy and find a table. And it was a fun job. Other than this job, one of my favorite jobs, I think. I'd do it again if I could, but the house pancakes is gone. Uh, and uh, the Sonics are gone, and that's the tragedy that's on the table that I'm discussing right now, right? <laughs> because the team would come in on game day when Bill Russell was a coach, and Bill Russell bought pancakes for the whole team. So I got to know the coach, the team. That's tons of fun, and I became a huge fan. And then Russell was fired, because the team wasn't that good. Uh, but then they hired Lenny Wilkins, and the team became amazing. And with, literally, within two years, they'd won the NBA championship, 1979. And I was like, like the best in my world, my little world, the best sports moment ever, 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 until the... San Francisco Giants, you know, won the World Series in 2010. But that's a different story because, you know, I grew up there in California. But the Sonics were my basketball team. And I, and I loved it. And so, so every time, I, when I'm down there at Key Arena, every time to this day, I go, oh, by the rivers of Babylon, we sat and wept. <laughs> Why have you taken our team to Oklahoma? And then I get over it and I, and I move on. But festivals create that wistful longing for the past. Does that make sense? Uh, and so, people are gathering here, and they come, and here's why they come. They come because it's what you do. They're, they're, we all have, like, our culture is built on these, on these events that have just kind of grown up, and, we, and so we go, and we go to things, and we actually, when we go to them, we don't expect much, often, we don't expect much to happen, right? Um, you go to funerals, you go to weddings, Sometimes, sometimes you go to church only because the weather is too poor for sailing, but not bad enough that you justify staying home. And so then you say, oh, well, whatever. 
free coffee, let's go, boom. You know, and here you are, and you come to church. But you don't expect anything to happen. You just go because that's, you know, what you do. And then, many days, nothing does happen, perceptible. But every once in a while, boom, something happens and it blows up your world, right? And it changes your life forever. I mean, I went to, I went to Camp Sugar Pine as a kid, Sierra Nevada Mountains, little Baptist camp, because that's what you do. Like, if it's summer, you go to camp, right? And then you roast marshmallows and you play Frisbee games and you throw your sins in the fire and you sing Kumbaya. It's all, it's all good. We did it every year, every day, you know. And when I, so when I was in college, Camp Sugar Pine was putting on a, um, a winter ski retreat and there was a cute blonde going who said, hey, are you going? And I go, well, if you're going, I'm going. That's it. All I cared about was this blonde. I didn't, I didn't want Bible teacher. Are you kidding me? Not interested. Come on. I signed a card when I was 12 years old. I'm saved. I'm going to heaven. What more do you want? But, you know, I still got to find a wife. And, you know, she's cute. And who knows? It could be a great camp. Boom. I'll go. So I go. But I don't expect anything to happen. My friend, who's about to get divorced, uh, the chaplain says, hey, would you just come visit me? Because, uh, you know, I'd like to have one conversation with you before you divorce your wife. And he goes, okay, yeah, I'll do that. And he, he did it because it was kind of this culture within his own uh, base uh, before a marriage imploded. So you went and told the chaplain you were going to get divorced. It was in the culture, right? So he goes to this guy and he's just going to go and he's going to, you know, check it off his to-do list. Yeah, I went to the chaplain. You come to church because that's what you do. There's these normal habits and we do them and we do them and we do them. And then every once in a while, something powerful happens. For me, Camp Sugar Pine, that moment changed my life. That camp changed my life. It changed, the, it changed my vocational trajectory. I'm here because there I met God in a new way, filled with the Holy Spirit, and profoundly altered the course and direction of of my priorities in my life from that moment on, right? So you go, you, go, you don't expect anything to happen, and then pow, something big happens. So this happens to some of you in church sometimes as well. And, and my friend, who went to the city, he went to see the chaplain, and uh, the chaplain said, hey, listen, if I owe you a divorce, great. Here, but before you, can I just ask you one question? He asked him one question. And before, before he's done answering, my friend is weeping. And by the end, um, uh, he's... He receives Christ as his savior, like he's born again. And then their marriage is healed. And now God uses them to help other couples in the restoration of their marriages when their marriage is on the rock. And he just went in because it's, quote, unquote, what you do. It's just another thing. Let's check it off the list. Church, camp, funeral, wedding, chaplain. And every once in a while, fire comes down. That's what's happening here, right? And so uh, uh, when fire comes down here, God takes this kind of normal festival and fills it with an entirely different meaning. And that's what I want you to see. So, so originally, you had these two festivals, Passover, and then 50 days later, this one, Acts 2, Pentecost. Passover originally meant, you know, Israel is gathering for Passover to celebrate deliverance uh, from Israel, because of the, the, you know everybody would kill a lamb. If you know the story, we kill a lamb, and this angel of death flies over, and and Israel is freed from literal slavery. You can read about it if you don't know the story. It's in Exodus, about chapter ten through fourteen of Exodus. So they would celebrate that every year because it was powerful, right? And then uh, you know, Jesus, on the last night of his life, 
He took the bread as, you know, communion. He said, and there was a Passover meal. And he said, this is now my body. And remember John the Baptist, when John, he saw Jesus the first time, he says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the new Lamb, right? And now, so now Passover is really when we celebrate Easter, and it means not just deliverance from literal slavery, though it means that, yes, human trafficking, oppression, uh, racism, oppression of women, slavery, but also deliverance from other forms of slavery, shame, anxiety, lust, fear, greed, the idolatry of nationalism or consumerism or capitalism or socialism. Look, 2,000 years later, we're still coming to discover the power of what Jesus meant when Jesus said in John chapter 8, if they, look, if you know the truth, and I, Christ, am the truth, if you know the truth, the truth will what? Set you completely free. And if you're, listen, if you're free, you're free, completely free indeed. Free from anxiety, fear, body image issues, self-loathing, war, racism, prejudice. I want you to be completely free. That's the freedom of Christ. So, so, uh, Passover celebrates the freedom, Easter, freedom, right? Now, Pentecost was... This fruit, first fruits thing of agriculture, but now it's about the first fruits of God's eternal kingdom. In other words, this is the day the church begins. Because the church begins when the Holy Spirit comes and, and fills the original saints, the followers of Jesus, the disciples. And then, as we'll see in the book of Acts over the next few weeks, these guys scatter out around the world. And so, when you look at the world today, first we acknowledge yes, the church has been. Eminently guilty many times, racism, colonialism, tribalism, war, I get it, yeah, all true. And don't ever tell that without telling the whole story. <laughs> because here's the other side of the coin. Hospitals, leper colonies, um, freedom from human trafficking, international justice mission, homeless houses, getting people off the streets, freeing people from addiction, all around the world. Not just here, everywhere. When you see hospitals, when you see schools, when you, when you see literacy programs, the vast majority of it historically, in Jesus' name. Not kidding, in Jesus' name. So Jesus and the work that he began, began then, that day, Pentecost. First fruits. God scattering people to, to embody the hope of Christ everywhere. But there's more to that. Uh, it was then about receiving the law. It is now about receiving the Holy Spirit. And, 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 and these are directly contrasted all through the New Testament as Paul develops his theology. He articulates the difference between the law and the Spirit. And there's, I'm going to take you to one passage that articulates this distinction quite clearly. It's in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. So just listen as I read this. Because it's, it's one of my favorite passages of the Bible anyway. Paul begins... Uh, in, in verse 4, articulating this distinction by, by saying this. He says, this is the confidence that I have. I'm speaking the first person here, though he doesn't. He speaks in the collective. But this is what he says. This is the confidence I have through Christ toward God. So when Paul begins this little passage, he says, I'm very confident. I have a, I have a strong confidence. And then here's the next thing he says. I'm not adequate in myself to consider anything as coming from myself. Now, let me just ask you, does that sound very confident? Well, hey, let me tell you how confident I am. I can't do a blessed thing that matters. I can't, like, I don't, 
I, I am not adequate to consider anything as coming from myself. And yet I'm adequate. Well, so you're sitting there, you're listening. Well, how is, if he doesn't think he's adequate, how, how is he adequate? I'm glad you asked. Because here's, he goes on. Look what he says. He says, we're not adequate to consider anything that's coming from ourselves, but we do have adequacy. Our adequacy is from God who made us adequate as servants of a new covenant. And watch this. Here's the new covenant. Not of the letter. The letter is the law. And if you read in your Bible, you see the letter in the New Testament. And Paul says, it's of the letter. That's, he's talking about the law. He's talking about Sinai, Moses, Ten Commandments, Charlton Heston, all that stuff. It's right there, the law, right? Then he says, not of the, not of the law, but, uh, but of the Spirit. Not of the letter, but of the Spirit. And then, here's his summary statement. Very, very important. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. So I'm confident. Why? Because I have the Spirit. And what's so significant about the Spirit? The Spirit fills me with life so that I can become the presence of life for those needing life. And the law could never do that. Well, then, you know, why do we even have the law if the law was no good? It's not that the law was no good. The law had a purpose, and the purpose of the law is to show you the gap between who you are and who you're called to be. Does that, does that make sense? So that, watch. The law can inform, but the law can never, ever empower. And that is so vital that you see and understand. Otherwise, you be, if we just become people of the law, we're legalists, and then we're religious, but, but the religion that we deal in then is, is we're dealing in death, not life. So it's not, like if you just have the law, I'll just say it, not enough. And a classic example of this is I'm sure it's true in all of our, all of our lives in the room. There are areas in our life where we see someone and the person that we see, they inspire us because they show us, oh, look what they're doing and look at what I'm doing and I, I want to be like them. And yet in spite of the fact that we're inspired, we somehow are never able to get there. Do you understand what I'm... I'll give you one, one kind of silly illustration. I was reminded of it yesterday because I already shared with you. I went f to buy my lunch yesterday after a, a morning of skiing and I bought a corn dog. Now, uh, that's not a health food. I don't know if you knew that, but it's not a health food. It's fried in this whatever pile of good-smelling grease and there's cornmeal and this giant nitrate-laden sausage, and... but it's so good. And so, uh, so just, it's kind of a, not a typical Saturday, but I say to my wife, I'm gonna buy a corn dog for, for lunch. And she goes, yeah, well, good for you. I'm gonna have a kale salad. <laughs> well, and, and you know, that kale salad, I mean, when I look at it, it's actually beautiful. It's green, there's broccoli in there, this, whatever is the dressing is, you know, colorful too, and some shredded carrots, and I'm sure it tastes wonderful, and I know I should eat that and not this for many, 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 many reasons. I know it, I know, I know. And so she is the embodiment of the law in this moment, right? She's like, she's showing me by her example, do this and live, right? And, and <laughs> I get it, yeah, that's fine. And then, and I know it, and then, and then here's the reality, here's the reality. I go, I go in my mind, you know what, you know, I, I, my watch tells me I've burned, you know, 3,000 calories, you know, skiing four miles across the top of this ridge today. I deserve not a stupid kale salad, I want a corn dog. <laughs> Boom. So I know what's right, but in spite of the fact that I know I don't do. And then, and then we sit outside, she with her kale salad, me with this little paper tray, with a, you can picture it. It's like a corn dog and then a little thing of mustard. You know, she 
and me dipping my corn dog in the mustard, you know, and we're eating, and I know what's right, but I don't do it. Now, I, can anybody identify and not just with corn dogs? Do you understand what I'm saying here? Well, here's the, here's the truth of it, right? We know we're called to love our neighbors. We know we're called to generosity. We know, we know we're called to be, you know, delivered from, you know, bitter. We know we're called to forgive. We, we know we're called to sexual purity. We know we're called to, 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 to lives of justice and mercy and joy and wisdom and strength and honesty and transparency and humility. No, nobody in the room would debate any of that. We all know. We know what's right. Look, we have the law. We have it. But the, kind of the point here that Paul is making in Singerians 3 is this. You can know it and not live it. In fact, the point of the law was never to empower you. The point of the law was to show you, look, you're made for kale salads. Why are you eating corn dogs? That's the point of the law. You're made for justice. Why, why are you married to an oppressive system? You're made for love. Why, how come you won't forgive your parents? You're, like you're made for intimacy. Why are you settling for, you know, pixelated pictures of women? The law is intended to show us a gap in our lives. So we should pay attention to the law, absolutely. But understand that it says here, the law kills. In the best sense of the word kills, as we'll see in a minute. So that now, seeing our, our own spiritual impotence, we might be motivated to receive all that Christ is through the power of the Holy Spirit, enabling us to become the people we know we're called to be. And all that's wrapped up in Pentecost. It was, you know, the first Pentecost, receiving the law. The second Pentecost, receiving the Holy Spirit, right? So God is filling these old ceremonies with new meaning and power. I mean, there's ceremonies and people just do it. And so, so what happens here is things that you just do take on whole new meaning. You're in a worship service on a Sunday just like this one. And it may be actually this very one today. Not Christmas, not Easter. It's just a, look, it's just another Sunday. The weather's okay. You got hay fever. You skip the tulip festival to come to church. You're feeling good about yourself. But you're already thinking, man, it's 10 to noon. You know, Masters is on pretty soon. I'm out of here. I get it. I'm there too. I understand. And yet, here's the thing. We just show up sometimes and God speaks to us. And, it happen, and I'll just tell you, it happens every week here at Bethany Community Church. God speaks in powerful ways to people when the gathered community shows up. We did a thing a few uh, months ago. We studied Joshua. We, we put a big tent up here on the stage. And the topic of the sermon was, was what's in your tent? I don't know if you remember that. And we asked people to say, hey, you know, what's holding you back from being fully in God's story. What are you carrying that nobody knows about? Come name it. Put it in the tent because some of us are hiding sin. And this guy comes up to me with tears in his eyes and he says, look, my, because of what just happened here, my marriage will never be the same. I'm going to go confess to my wife right now some, some things that absolutely need confession and I pray she'll forgive me and I pray we'll know restoration and she did and they do. And he's a new man now with joy and purpose and meaning. Why? Because he showed up. And the Holy Spirit did something. He showed up. He wasn't expect. He said this to me. He came up here. He was right here. And he said, man, I did not think this would happen today. I was going to go to a football game. God shows up. So I hope you're here when God shows up. That's why Hebrews 12 says, don't forsake gathering together. Great habit, friends. Don't expect every week 
to have this, you know, powerful fire experience. But please understand, <laughs> you don't get to orchestrate those. God shows up when God shows up. <laughs> so you show up. And so people showed up, you know, in Acts chapter 2. Oh, hey, it's the Feast of Pentecost. So let's make a little, you know, journey from Damascus to Jerusalem. And we'll have a picnic. And it'll be a great time for the kids. And then we'll go home. It's, it's a bit like, I mean, especially this feast, it's a bit like camp. I teach at family camps. And I promise you, almost no one comes to family camp to hear the Bible studies that I'm doing. I ne no one ever says that. Oh, yeah, we came because it's your week. Right. Liar. <laughs> yeah, no, no, I know why you're here. You're here because your kids build rockets and blast them over into space. They have boat races. And, you know, the counselors walk on water because they are amazing. They pour in the lives of your kids. They can be transformative for them. And you're building a tradition. And for you, for you, it's just a tradition. And I had a family come to family camp one time and they said to me, we came for our kids. We didn't, we didn't want to come to your first session, Richard. And now I'm telling you, we want to go home and we want to represent Christ on our street in a way we never have. They just showed up. So keep showing up. And anyway, here's what happens. Uh, what, into this gathered community, the Holy Spirit comes and the Holy Spirit shows up, Acts verse, chapter 2, verses 2 and 3. The Holy Spirit shows up as this mighty rushing wind and as tongues of fire that land on each person. So wind and fire represent the Holy Spirit. Now, I, I believe that they represent the Holy Spirit because these are things that we can easily understand, wind and fire. So let's just explain here what's going on with wind and fire. Wind represents a loss of control. That's what wind always represents. Uh, when uh, Nicodemus is this guy speaking to Jesus in John chapter 3, and Nicodemus says, hey, Jesus, I'd really like to see your kingdom. Like, what do I, how, what do I have to do to see the kingdom of God? Nicodemus uh, hears from Jesus this word, look, unless you're born again, you can never see the kingdom, Right? And then Jesus goes on and he unpacks part of what it means to be born again. And this is what he says. He says, the wind blows wherever it wants and you don't know where it's coming from and you don't know where it's going. And then here's Jesus' concluding statement. So is everyone who's born of the Spirit. In other words, when you are filled with the Spirit, the wind of the Spirit will move your life in directions that you would never, ever have chosen, never, ever have anticipated. That's what the wind does. And it's true to this day, ask any you know, meteorologist, hey, uh, uh, hey, Jeff Renner, uh, listen, could we have the wind out of the north on Wednesday? Because, you know, I'm flying in from home and I really want to see my house. So can you just order, you know, wind from the north? Here's the deal. You never know where the wind's coming from. You don't know. North, south, you know, directly from... The west, I mean, if you live in Linwood, the wind is always from the north and the south. It's a convergence zone, right? Who can control the wind? And it's a rhetorical question. No one. But here's what the wind does. It moves us. It moves us. And this is the book of Acts. What we'll see in the book of Acts are, is movement, like physical movement, but also kind of emotional, social movement. Movement across social divides of every kind. Racial divides, financial divides, religious divides, sexual orientation divides, all in acts. The wind is moving people, blowing up paradigms, 
Building relationships. Years ago, uh, as part of a refugee resettlement ministry that our campus in West Seattle is involved with, uh, a Muslim cleric from Baghdad um, became part of the program and wanted to have lunch with me and wanted to meet me. So this, this guy was a refugee resettling here in the Northwest. So we had lunch together right over here by Green Lake. He, my friend from West Seattle, the translator, myself, the four of us. It was delightful. I heard his story. It was a tragic story. He was, he was beaten during the Iraqi war. He, he you know, walked with a limp uh, and now was to- totally without any roots and was here in America resettling. So uh, I forgot my credit card at lunch. I paid for lunch, but then I left the card there. So my buddy calls me on the phone. Hey, Richard, I've got your card. Well, why don't you come over to church? So he comes over here with the guy and this cleric, this imam, he says, is this, your, uh, is this where your people meet to worship? Yeah, it is. Could I come in? And I'd like to see it. Yeah, you can come in. He comes in. He's walking around in here and he finds uh, one of these Bibles in the pews. He says, is this your holy book? Yeah. He, he goes, and do you, do you speak, do you tell people what's in this book? Is that what you do? Yeah, that's what I do. He says, and so uh, this weekend, will you speak from a certain part? Yeah. <laughs> Which part, he says. Oh, you know, um, Matthew 11, and I just turned and I read this thing. Come to me. It just happened to be the one. Come to me, all you who are weary, heavy laden, I will give you rest. This guy's eyes get a little watery. He's a strong man. He's seen a lot. He said, and Jesus said that, he said. He said, yeah, he did. It's an invitation to anyone. Here's his next words. I could use some rest. And then, then very quickly, this is what he said. Um, I'd like to hear you talk about rest. Could I come on Sunday? Would you let me? Yeah. <laughs> you could be here. He sat right back in the prayer room with the translator. We gave him a Bible. Wind of the Spirit. I didn't, let me tell you, it was a Thursday. I'd wake up on any Thursday and say, I think today I'll share Christ with a Muslim cleric from Baghdad. <laughs> you know, it's on my list. You know, big hairy goal. What? Is that, is that how you really want to live? Like you want to control things? You want to name? Oh, right, this, this is what I'm going to do. Here's, here's God. You want to write your own story? Great, write your own story. You know what you'll get? Your own story. It'll be fine, commendable. Maybe you reach every goal. Maybe you bless a few people along the way. I'm here to tell you, in the name of Christ, I don't want to write my own story. God's story is so much better, so much better. Blowing me into places I would never go because I am a hobbit. I don't want to go anywhere ever. (laughs) And I wake up, I don't want to train in the middle of the night in India, thinking I had a private car, there was a family of eight <laughs> staring at me. And then we talked for three hours about Jesus and Hinduism and the gospel and 
Bible school in Dehradun, India. Who, who fabricates that? God does. I like God's story so much better. But it's not available without the Holy Spirit. Oh, it's not just wind, it's fire. Oh, yes, it's fire. Why? Well, here's the deal. Uh, <laughs> filling requires this, this consuming of that which needs to be removed so that the life of the Holy Spirit can grow in us. So there's this, there's this letting go, this emptying, this repentance where what is set on fire sometimes are my deeply held beliefs, my addictions, my prejudices, my comfort zone is ignited and goes up in flames. There's a literal, there's a literal, a literal fire <laughs> that, that completely changes the way I do business. There's an explosion at 85th and Greenwood, a fire that alters people's lives. All this is pointing us to this really profound reality that for us to enjoy all that God wants to do in and through us, we must be empty, empty. So God moves us. Things go up in flames. My, my vocational expectations, be an architect, gone. Be rural, gone. For you, I'm going to be in a big business, and you're a sole proprietor. I'm going to be a consultant, and you're an employee. I'm going to be healthy, and you just got out of three months in the hospital. Fire. Wind and fire, all for what reason? One reason, so that you would be filled with the very life of God. That's why. So here's how it ends. Peter preaches this remarkable sermon, and at the end, people are so amazed because he who was so fearful is now so courageous. He who is just a fisherman is so articulate. He, he who is, quote-unquote, uneducated is literate regarding the Old Testament scriptures, and everyone recognized him as, quote-unquote, having been with Jesus. And he said to the entire crowd, he who denied even knew Christ just 53 days earlier, he says, look, know this, this Jesus... The one you crucified, God has made him both Lord, Messiah, Christ. He's king of the universe. Repent. And so when the people go, hey, what are we supposed to do? And he says, repent. He says, when you repent, you will receive the Holy Spirit. Just like we did. So what does repentance mean? It's, very, it's actually kind of simple in a way. Repentance means this. Look, if this is my life... There is in my life some stuff that cannot be there with the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit does not occupy when I demand on it being occupied by my own agenda. And so, my vocational demands, I need to let go. My, my, my hidden sexual sins, I need, to, I, I, need to, I need to say no, no more. <laughs> I verbal, I'm done. I'm done with intimacy by pixels. I'm done with greed. I'm done with unforgiveness. I'm done with hating my body. I'm done with not knowing my neighbors. I'm done with cynicism. I'm done with fear. I'm done with pride. I'm done with shame. 
Whatever it is, God, I want to be completely empty in order that I might be filled with all that you are. And since the Holy Spirit shows up in the scriptures as oil, I'm using olive oil for the illustration. So there you go. The Holy Spirit only filling that which is what? Empty. Empty. And that's why in Ephesians chapter 5 verse 18 it says this. It doesn't say be filled with the Holy Spirit as if it's a one-time act. Boom. Done. Yeah, I was 12. I was filled. No, no. This is Ephesians 5.18. Know the will of God. Be being kept filled. You have the Holy Spirit, but is the Holy Spirit in control of your life? And the answer, if your cup is filled with any self-agenda, any self-promotion, any hidden sin, here's the answer. No. <laughs> you might look religious. You might, you might be effective. You might be wealthy. It doesn't matter. Because what makes life meaningful is nothing less than the resurrected Jesus showing up in the person of the Holy Spirit, expressing a life through you that is beyond what you even have the capacity to imagine. It's better. It's richer. It's fuller. It's freer. It's Christ. Don't sell for anything less. So we're going to just do a little moment here this morning as we close of repenting and praying to, to receive the Holy Spirit. And here's how we do it. There's a prayer to receive the Holy Spirit in here, to be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's in your bulletin. And I'm going to ask you to come forward and pray it on your knees. Pray, especially as couples, if you're here with somebody or a family, would you pray together? We want our family filled with the Holy Spirit. And then uh, the thing is, name those things that you want to set aside. I'm done. I'm renouncing. And they may come back, but name them today. This is how we're filled. And then what we do... Once you've prayed, just come on over here and light a candle because the Spirit shows up as fire. And as I light my candle, this is what I say, Jesus, would you burn away everything in me that needs to be burned away in order that the light of Christ could be seen with clarity? Here's the deal, friends. I love working here. I love Bethany Community Church. But I do not want to run a successful evangelical religious organization. Not, I have no interest. I'd rather ski. I'll be honest. I'm that lazy. I'd rather ski. Here's why I'm here. <laughs> I want this community to overflow with the hope of Christ so that our city desperately needing light can find that light in you, in me, in us. Don't be religious. Be filled. Time to respond as we worship together.